invite uh, Peter up to come and give us a talk. Good morning, everyone. Is this microphone working? Yes? You can hear me loud and clear. That's good. Good. He's one of the best-known characters in the Bible. In fact, he's probably one of the best-known characters in world literature, even if you've never opened a Bible. And this despite the fact that we never know his name. All you need to say are three words, and I guess most people will know who you're talking about. The prodigal son. Yeah, the story that Jesus told about a young guy left home with his share of the family fortune, blew it on wine, women, and song, ended up in a pigsty, went back home, and his father welcomed him and gave a huge party. Not many people know that he had an elder brother, which must have been very annoying for the elder brother. It's bad enough having a famous brother, but far worse, an infamous brother, and fancy giving his name to the parable. But in fact, there were two brothers in the story that Jesus told, one who strayed and one who stayed. Should be able to remember that. (laughs) But actually, the main character in the story is neither of them. The main character in the story is the father of the two boys, which is why I've called it not come on the screen. Anyway, the slide should say, sorry Ed, the slide should say the parable of the prodigal father. The parable of the prodigal father. No, it isn't a misprint, but if you want to know why I've chosen that title, you'll have to stay with us until later in this talk. So first of all, what we want to do is read the original story in the Bible. So if you have one of these Bibles here, all right, or you've got it on the device, whatever, but in the church Bibles, it's page 1049. And it's Luke chapter 15. If you turn to page 1049, this is the third account of the life of Jesus in the New Testament part of the Bible, written by a doctor called Luke. We come to chapter 15, that's the big bold letters, and we're halfway through at verse 11. We're going to read through to verse 32, and Rachel... It's going to read for us, and I'm going to operate this thing and hope the rest. So there, right, let's go. Wait a minute. Yeah, there we are. It's okay. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here am I starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Rachel. So if you've got the Bible in front of you, in this story, Jesus introduces us to the three main characters. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. So let's start as the narrative does with the first of the sons, whom we could call the rebellious son. If you were here last week or read the previous section of this chapter, you will know that these th- there are three stories linked by a common theme. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And while maybe the sheep is lost because of foolishness, the coin lost because of carelessness, this son is lost because of willfulness. He chooses to get lost. It's a deliberate decision on his part. The youngest son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, in the law of Moses, which governed the people of Israel, there were strict laws about inheriting your family estate. The oldest son in any family got the lion's share, what was called the double portion. The other third was divided among the remaining sons. So, two sons, the younger one, just gets one-third of the property, the value of the family estate, but not until his father dies. So by making this request, he's saying virtually to his father, very offensively, I wish you were dead. So, demanding his share, wishing his father were dead, let alone the difficulty and disruption of having to sell off part of the family property in order to give him his share of the inheritance. Yet there's no argument on the part of the father. He doesn't disown him. He doesn't lock him in his room until he comes to his senses. He simply concurs. We read, so he divided his property between them. So why did this younger son want to do this? Well, freedom. 
He wanted to be liberated from the shackles of home life, of parental restraint. He wanted to live life and all that he had to offer. Life in glorious technicolor instead of monotonous monochrome. And so fortune in hand, leaving not a single possession behind, he set off down the road to a distant country with never a glance back. Such is life. Sometimes literally, always spiritually. Within each one of us, there is a desire to break free. A rebellious spirit which drives us to go our own way. Yeah, we like God's gifts, the things he gives us, but we don't want him telling us what to do. The little book in the Old Testament, book of Proverbs, wise sayings, comments. I've got the slide missing, sorry. What happened, Ed? Comments, there should be a screen here, but don't worry about it. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Not that this young man believed it when he set out. He thought that the billboards on the road said life. And for a time it appeared he was right. He lived life in the fast lane. Fast women. Fast living. Fast camels, probably. But not forever. His resources, even those of a wealthy man, are not limitless, especially when they are squandered with such reckless abandon. In verse 13, the word squandered is the word used for winnowing wheat. So you throw it up into the air and it falls to the ground. And when this boy threw up all his possessions into the air, there were plenty of people around to catch the falling shekels. But sooner, sooner than he had anticipated, his plastic card is spewed out of the cash point and a flashing light indicates insufficient funds. And then, unfortunately then, for this young man, a famine strikes the whole country. And it's not just an ordinary famine, it's a severe famine. And the young man, we read, began to be in need. And so is everyone else. Belts are tightened as well as purse strings. And the boards in the job center are vacant and empty, except for one that reads, swineherd required, food and lodging provided. The lodging is the pigsty, the food is the pig swill, but desperation and starvation are no respecter of persons. All his newfound friends have swarmed around him like bees around a honeypot and nowhere to be found. There he sits, his hopes like his clothes in tatters. At rock bottom, what abject humiliation for a rich Jewish boy to be associated keeping company with unclean pigs. Now, you could be setting out on the road to this far country. You may have grown up in a Christian home with Christian environment. You can't wait to be free from the restrictions of home and parents. You don't believe a word when I say it will end in a pigsty. Or maybe you're a person who's already arrived in the far country and you're having a great time. Life is truly fantastic and freedom from all those restraints and regulations is so liberating you don't believe it either. But maybe there's someone here today who's having second thoughts. Burning the candle at both ends means it becomes very short in the middle. Things that were once fulfilling now need twice the effort and investment to get half the satisfaction. And there are some of us maybe who are really in the pigsty. It may not be outwardly apparent. You may not be reduced to sleeping on the streets, though some are. You may even have all the material possessions of this life, but you're still empty 
still hungry, and nobody has anything to offer which will satisfy the aching longing within your spirit. But it's at this point in the story, at the lowest point, that hope begins, as we see in the story. At last, his mind no longer befuddled by wine and intoxicating pleasures. The bright lights of the city begins to think. Look what he says to himself in verse 18. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's servants have food to spare? Here I am, starving to death. I know what I'll do. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The Bible has a word which describes what happened to this young man. It's the word repentance. Repentance literally means a change of mind, a change of mind which leads to a change in direction. The young man begins to change his mind about home and family, about his prospects. And the key verse is verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. Well, we'll return to the details later when we consider the love of the father, but simply and wonderfully note here, the wayward son, rebellious son, is fully reconciled to his father. Not as a hired servant, but as a loved son. The father lays on this tremendous celebration. He says, bring the fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. How ironical that the son who left home because he wanted to have a good time ends up back home having a party in the family home. But... The story doesn't end there, for there is another son. Not the rebellious son, but the one we could call the resentful son. When the younger son returned, the elder son was out working in the fields, away from the family homestead. Imagine it, in the early evening he returns home, and he hears the sound of music, the drumming of dancing feet. What on earth is going on? That he didn't know about. Perhaps it's a special party for him. So he calls one of the boys over and says, what's going on? And he tells him, your brother has come. Your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But rather than being pleased that his younger brother is home, the elder brother is incensed. He is angry. He is very angry. He is irate. No doubt he's angry with his brother for the cheek of coming home, having blown the family fortune and offended the family honor. But behind it, will you notice, there is a much deeper anger and resentment, not against his brother, but against his father. And this is seen in the response of the father. The father goes out. There's the older son standing outside, refusing to join in the party. The father goes out to him, and notice what the elder son says. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a party, even with a goat. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. Now notice the contrast between the words he speaks and those of his brother. When the younger son returned home, he said, Father, I have sinned. When the elder son speaks, he doesn't even use the word father. He simply says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He doesn't use the word father because he sees himself not as a son, but as a slave. You see, the younger son had chafed against the restraints of his father and home. He'd shown it in open rebellion. He, hadn't t- he had taken his share of the family wealth, cleared off. He didn't want to be a son anymore. But notice the elder son stayed at home, living as a son, yet with a slave mentality. 
But now with the welcome given to his brother, his pent-up resentment explodes in open anger. For his father has broken all the rules by throwing a big feast for his younger son who deserves nothing. Why? It's unfair. He's not been given anything. If there were a trade union, the National Farmers Union would have taken his case to court. But he isn't an employer. He's his father. He's not a slave, but a son, as the father gently reminds him. And also, that the one he calls this son of yours is actually also this brother of yours. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, while there are many people in our world who were like the younger brother, open rebellious against God and his laws, there are many outward, outwardly good living religious people who were like the elder brother. In fact, this is the context that prompts these parables. If you go back to the beginning of, if you've got the Bible in front of you, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious people, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were the religious people of the day, the good living people who did the absolute best to keep God's laws. They would never be seen dead in the far country. And they would never associate with anyone who had never been there. They labeled them as sinners while they were called the righteous, the good people. And you see what their religion is. It's based on a premise of reward and punishment. God punishes those who do wrong. He rewards those who do right. It was a slave mentality. And by it, God owed them. So if Jesus really was God's chosen Messiah, if he really came from God, then he would have nothing to do with prostitutes and tax collectors. Instead, he would mix only with folk like them. But in fact, Jesus did just the opposite. Why he even went to parties they organized on his behalf with singing and dancing and food and wine? What kind of religion was it? Where such people were welcomed, such parties were held. And the chapter begins with them standing outside, refusing to join in the feast, muttering. It's a Greek word, one of those words, an onomatopoeic word that sounds like it is. It's the word gongudzo. <laughs> They're standing outside, muttering and complaining. And in answer, Jesus tells them these three parables, which shows them that the heart of God is a heart of love towards returning people, restored people. So what's the root of their problem? The root of their problem is the one fact they fail to understand the true character of God, that he is the prodigal father. See, the word prodigal has two meanings. It's used negatively of something valuable which is wasted, recklessly wasteful or extravagant, but it has a secondary meaning, giving or yielding profusely, lavishly abundant, and this wonderful parable teaches the fundamental fact about God and his love that he is extravagant. His extravagant prodigal love is shown to both sons. It's shown to the rebellious son by giving him what he asked for, allowing him to leave. But it's shown that he welcomes home rebels and runways. You see, we read, even while the son is a long way off, the father is looking down the road for the returning prodigal. The father looks down for returning prodigals. And he does something wonderful, which he never did in the Middle East, especially as if you're an older person of honor and respect. The father garrets his cloak and he runs down the road to greet this boy. 
You see, we come like the prodigal, expecting little, expecting the worst, expecting at best to be a slave. But we're welcomed home with amazing grace as sons and daughters of the living God, God the Father. Given all the symbols of sonship, the signet ring of authority, the best robe of distinction, the sandals of a stone rather than the bare feet of a slave. And, and heaven throws a party whenever a lost son or daughter comes home. There is rejoicing, Jesus says, before the angels in heaven over one person who repents, who changes direction, who heads home. More than 99 people who think they don't need to. Yet the father shows his prodigal love not only to the rebellious son, but also to the resentful son who has defied convention. You see, what, what the elder son has done has also offended his father deeply in that culture. He should have gone into the feast, gritted his teeth, and sorted it out with his father later. Now he's caused public shame by refusing to join in. And as with the younger son, we read the father runs to one son, he goes out to greet the other son, and he earnestly pleads with him to come and join the celebrations. He said, we had to celebrate and be glad. You see, the father's extravagant prodigal love is shown to the rebellious son as well as the resentful son, to the righteous as well as the self-righteous. You see, the great tragedy of this story, it's, it's left open-ended. Did the elder son ever join the party? The story doesn't tell us. Did the Pharisees and teachers of the law ever join the party? No. They refused steadfastly and eventually killed the one who told the story. You see, this is a parable about a father and two sons, but behind it all, the big story, it's about a father. It, there is a third son in the bigger story. The third son is the one who's telling the story. Here's some words written by John, a follower of Jesus. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins to pay the price we could never pay, the entrance fee to belong to God's family. So I simply ask you this morning, as I ask myself again, are we aware today, have we experienced God's prodigal love, the love of God the Father, by which he calls you his son and his daughter? See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. So I leave you with three questions. We're going to think about them in more depth this evening if you come along at five o'clock. I've prepared some questions on it, but three questions. Are you lost or found? Are you a slave or a son? Are you grumbling or are you rejoicing? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are the loving, prodigal Father. You, you show your prodigal love to each one of us here this morning. Some of us know what it means to be a rebel far from you and to be restored to your family. Some of us have never visited the far country, as it were, but... We've tried to please you by the things we do to earn your favor and failed miserably. And you show your great love to us, your grace that doesn't depend on merit, but is simply lavished on those who seek you. So today we rejoice and are glad 
because of who you are and what you've done for us. You know each one of us here, whatever our position is before you, we just pray that you might show your love to us today and we might be aware of it and we might rejoice and be glad in what you've done for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Caleb, we're going to answer the question. So thank you all for uh, listening uh, carefully to Peter's talk. We're going to take